Craig was a happy boy and had the world in front of him, but when he turned to drugs and living the criminal lifestyle, everything would crumble around him. He wouldn't stop until he ruined his life and the lives of four young women. And welcome to Sentenced. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Kara. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I feel like it's been like four months since we've talked, but it's only been like a week and a half. <laughs> I know. It does feel like it's been a very long time. Um, it's just, I think it's because we're so used to recording every week. And so this time we went a little bit longer than a week. So it feels a lot longer. I know. It took me like 10 minutes just to remember how to record <laughs> my audio. <laughs> that's okay I was like oh shoot I have to go hook up all this crap like I was like oh I'm good I'm ready to record no I gotta hook everything up plug everything in it's always an ordeal I know and I will say too that I'm glad we're not I mean yes we are recording this we're recording the zoom call but I'm glad we haven't gone live on YouTube yet because look at my outfit I was gonna say are you wearing a robe yes so I'm that's wearing cute. Like a black robe that has hearts on it from Victoria's Secret. And then underneath it, I'm wearing an oversized tie-dye shirt. And then I'm wearing Christmas pajama bottoms. Listen, if it's comfy, it's comfy. I'm wearing um, a 3X t-shirt from Target from the men's department. um, And some bicycle shorts and some really comfy socks. Because I can't be bothered when I get home. Same. Like I do the, that's the first thing I do when I walk through the door is I change my clothes. I put on pajamas immediately. And it's usually like one of AJ's shirts because the oversized shirts are where it's at. This isn't even Robert's. I intentionally bought this shirt <laughs> because it's big. And now I have three of them in just different colors. I love the, that. The Goodfellow brand. They're so comfy. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't like, I don't wear shorts to bed. So it's like nice that I still have a big shirt. But yeah, I do the same thing. I come home, I take my jewelry off, I change into pajamas. I usually wash my face. Sometimes I forget. So yeah, that's my routine. I can't, I'm not gonna wear my work clothes all day. That's gross. No. Like I've been yeah. around people. I'm like, ugh, no. And I wear scrubs to work. So my scrubs by the time I get home are usually pretty dirty. Do you really? I bet you look so cute in scrubs. Thanks. They're pretty cute. We most people I would say at my work wear figs. So we're trying to get sponsored by them because they're like they're the scrubs that are tailored and they're a little bit more fashionable. They're super cute. I've like always wanted to wear scrubs, but I'm like, I don't have the body type for scrubs. So <laughs> I'll wear my blouses to work. <laughs> and it'd be really weird if I showed up to my office and scrubs yeah. people would be really confused. <laughs> like, are you okay? No, the answer is always no. Yeah. Um, well, do you have any major life updates that you want to update everybody on? I do have something and I don't know if I want to share it or not, because I'm scared that if I do share it, I will be targeted (laughs) by aliens. Is it about the spy balloons? The spy balloons. Okay. What is it about? I want to know. Well, we were driving home. We got massages on Valentine's day and we were driving home and we saw a UFO. Shut up. 
Yeah, no, I'm not even kidding. It was the creepiest thing. We so we see this really bright light and we're super confused. We're like, is that like on top of the mountain? And we were like, there's no way. It's way too bright. And there's also like not a mountain over there. So it's not that. But it was not an airplane because it wasn't it wasn't blinking or anything. It was just one steady, super, super bright light. And then all of a sudden it just like disappeared into a cloud and we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then right after that, it like reappeared, but it was way smaller. And then it kept like getting brighter and dimmer and brighter and dimmer. And it was, it was insane. Was it in the same spot every time? Yeah. Did you record it? No, I didn't even want to talk about it. I was like, we're, I felt like we were talking too loud. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're sitting in the car. It's 719. I'm going to blink. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like 10 PM. I know that happened. Isn't that like the first episode of X-Files? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, where he, like, loses a bunch of time or something. That's really creepy, but also, like, I'm really mad that you didn't record it. I was driving. Well, AJ should have recorded it then. What's his problem? I don't know. It was really (laughs) creepy. And there there was a plane in the sky, because at first, like, after it came out of the cloud, we were like, oh, okay, that's it. But it was an actual airplane. So it was... The other thing was an airplane, and we knew it for sure because it was, like, the green and red blinking light. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, no, this it, it's a UFO. And it just, like, went on airplane mode. <laughs> just, like, different meaning for us. <laughs> it was, like, the same oh explanation. That's so creepy, but also, like, kind of exciting. I have never seen a UFO. I had to think about it. I was, like, had a lot of paranormal experiences, but never a UFO. Um, I'm yeah. always afraid to. I did see um, a meteor, I'm pretty sure, one time Ooh, when I was, like, driving cool. into Bakersfield. Yeah, it was, like, on fire and, like, super bright in the sky. It was back in, like, 2016, I think. And then That's I didn't pretty see, cool. But I didn't see anything on the news, so I was like, am I freaking losing it? Like, did I lose my mind? Did I see that? But I know I did. Because it wasn't even that late. It was, like, 8 p.m. Yeah, and that's what we were thinking, too. We were like, are we going crazy? But it was the two of us that saw it. I mean, I don't know. I feel like if aliens came down now and they, like, saw us, they'd be like, oh, we're, like, we're not fucking with you guys. Like, you need to get your shit together. Let's go to Switzerland <laughs> or something. Like, well, I don't know. that's why I thought you were going to talk about, like, all the spy balloons that have been in the news lately. I don't even know what that is. Oh, like, they, they've shot down, like, three. They're calling them Chinese spy balloons, but China is saying that they're just, like, weather balloons which is what they always are but they shot one down i think above north carolina alaska and canada and then there's one scene in south america how did they even get in our airspace i don't know but they were up at like forty thousand feet and so they were in the way of like, like planes planes yeah so they were like well we have to take these things down because of our commercial aircraft so they shot them down good so don't know what those are why like, does China care about what the weather's like in North Carolina? I don't know. They say they're from Beijing and that it, the U.S. is overreacting, but the FBI is on it. So oh, okay. we'll never know. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> no, how, for sure. That's, that's how it works. We never find out. They'll just distract us with something else. Like, yeah, I don't exactly. know, like a new virus or some shit. Please don't say that. I don't want to get <laughs> Rona number three. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well. Are we ready to get into my episode? I think so. Okay, well, I'm going to piss you off, so. <laughs> I know, you told me that, and now I'm, like, super anxious. Uh, it'll be fine. You'll get through it. 
Wait, why are you like in a mean way, in like a malicious way, in like a funny way? Kind of. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> You're like, I listed seven different things and you didn't say what it was. So <laughs> all of it's the probably, above. It's probably not even that big of a deal, but you'll see. Okay. So I'm going to get right into it. Craig Chandler Price was born on October 11th, 1973 to John and Shirley Price and was the youngest of three children. The Price family were devout Baptists and raised their children in the Baptist church. As Craig grew, his parents would say he was gifted with the ability to make them laugh, but that he was accident prone. This was due to him always running around and not watching where he was going. In 1978, the family moved to 76 Inez Avenue in Warwick, Rhode Island. When he was just three years old, Craig snuck out of the house and was hit by a car. Ooh. He injured his leg, but would make a full recovery. So this little tiny baby <laughs> runs out of his house and gets hit by a car. Wait, how old was he? Three. Oh, my gosh. Little, little dude. Um, And then at seven years old, Craig was hit in the head with a large rock that required stitches. And then at nine years old, he fell off a chair and broke his collarbone. By 10 years old, Craig already had a passion for baseball, football, and electric guitar. It was said that he was exceptionally good at sports and always had a positive outlook, even if his team lost. His friends described him as being a good old boy that liked hard rock and rap music. Other friends said he was a big softie and made connections with people easily due to his great storytelling abilities. So... Very early on in life, he has a major accident, getting hit by a car, mm -hmm. then gets hit in the head with a rock, Ugh. and then breaks his collarbone. Oh, my gosh. But even with all of that, like, he's just chipper as can be, great kid. Okay. Before he entered his preteen years, everyone had nothing but good things to say about Craig. However, between the ages of 10 and 13, he started ditching classes and was held back in the seventh grade. Craig started using drugs, smoking, and taking part in petty crimes. With this, he began butting heads with his parents and would even end up on probation after going to juvenile court for theft. Wow. Yeah, so quickly, quickly changing directions here. And, like, the age gap 10 to 13, even if you're 10 or even if you're 13 and doing drugs and, like, committing crimes that's so young yeah when your brain's not developed yet and you start introducing drugs and alcohol into your body that's that's major yeah like ugh, I couldn't imagine like I smoked weed for the first time when I was 18 and I hated it so I'm like yeah I couldn't imagine doing that in junior high I think I was like 16 the first time I smoked weed but I mean I I was still was not very mature at that time so <laughs> Yeah, I'm not uh, one who is, like, good at being stoned. Like, I'm way too paranoid. Like, I've, exactly. I've, smoked, I've smoked a handful of times. I haven't smoked in probably, like, two years because I was, like, having a really hard time sleeping. So I was like, ah, oh, let's, like, get some sativa and, like, sleep. Bro, no, I was so paranoid. Robert had to sit up with me and watch the Goonies so I would, like, calm down. Yeah. He's like, just watch the Goonies. You're comfortable with this movie. You know exactly what happens. You're going to be fine. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, I never was able to, to like smoke and have a good high. Well, maybe like for like a couple times when I was first in college, 
and kind of hanging out with all the drama kids. I think I probably smoked then and I was able to handle my high. But no, I, aside from that, I was always just overly anxious and it was just miserable and I wanted it to be over. My thing is, is like, I think it's my Capricornness. It's like, I need to be in control of every situation. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in those inebriated states, like, that's why I've never been drunk. I've never blacked out. Like, I'm like paranoid to even take ibuprofen if I've had a sip of wine. Like, I won't do it. I'm so weird. Like, yeah, I need to be in control of my situations. Right. Anyway, so his mother recalled a time he came home high on LSD. So she loaded him into the car and took him to his aunt and grandmother's. She remembers sitting him down and reading scripture to him. Craig would later state that during this interaction, he envisioned angels and serpents around him in a psychedelic trip. After the scripture reading, the ladies would tell him he was cured and would never touch drugs again. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I can't, I've never done LSD, don't plan on it, but I couldn't imagine <laughs> doing LSD at like 10 years old. That's, that's very young. Yeah, well, it says between 10 and 13, like. No, even 13 is really young. Still, yeah, like the source I found, like it kind of jumped around a bunch, so I just tried to make it make sense, but, and either way, like he's a baby and he mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing those things. Exactly. Craig recalls that when he was around 10 years old, he had first thoughts He had his first thoughts of wishing someone would die. He said it happened in August when he was racing on his bike against another neighborhood kid. Craig was obsessed with his bike and took pride in the way he decorated it. Before the race started, he heard someone yell, hey, spear chucker. Craig felt an icy feeling in his heart, but he decided to just ignore this person. Then a golf ball hit him in the leg, and when he looked to see who it was, he saw an older teenager with two of his friends. One of them yelled out, did you steal that bike, you racial slur? Mm. Craig kept his head down, but the boys continued to pelt him with golf balls. They eventually got into a Mustang, um, and Craig thought this was the end of it. Like He was like, okay, cool, they're going to leave. He continued on his race, but then the Mustang pulled up next to him and continued to yell racial slurs at him. Craig said he was filled with so much panic and tried to run outrun the car but in the panic he ended up crashing his bike into the curb and banged it up pretty bad um he was devastated like he took so much pride in his bike like he decorated it he was obsessed with pepsi so he decorated it with like pepsi logos. um so this was like a real a, a defining moment for him like if you ever had something as a kid that you just held near and dear and then a sibling ruined it it's like yeah it's devastating for you yeah Especially being a a bike, because that's not only your motive of transportation, but it's kind of like your freedom. I was just going to say that. Get out of my brain. (laughs) Sorry. No, that's okay. You're allowed in there every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he crashed his bike into a curb, and he said all he could remember was thinking how badly he wanted those kids to die. He walked his bike home and broke down when his dad saw the bike. All he could get out when telling his dad what happened was that he was racing and his dad immediately spanked him uh, since he wasn't supposed to be racing. So Craig said he felt that there was an injustice that day with him getting punished and not the guys that were harassing him. Yeah, like um, you got hurt, but yet you're still being punished. Right, because he got emotionally hurt, physically hurt, Mm -hmm. and now his bike is destroyed, like... 
and now his dad's whooping him like it's just all around a bad time and just it's a really shitty feeling yeah on september 4th 1989 marie bouchard and her daughter mary lou went into warwick because they hadn't heard from marie's other daughter 39 year old joan heaton for a few days Joan had two daughters, 10-year-old Jennifer Marie and 8-year-old Melissa Joan. They were a tight-knit family and communicated with each other often. So when Marie hadn't heard from them for four days, she knew something was wrong. When Marie and Mary Lou pulled up to Joan's house at 95 Metropolitan Drive, they saw her car in the driveway. The two went to the door, but no one answered. They continued knocking and ringing the doorbell with no answer. The two ladies then decided to walk to the back of the house and go through the back door. Once inside, the woman immediately saw blood everywhere and a foul smell in the air. Oh, no. In the hallway, they found a sheet covered in blood, and under it was Joan's body. Near Joan's body, they found 10-year-old Jennifer Marie. And when they turned the corner into the kitchen, they found 8-year-old Melissa Joan. The two women were obviously horrified and recall that they had just spent time with them a few days before this, shopping, just having a great time. The two women carefully exited the home, trying not to disturb the scene. They quickly called the police, and within a few minutes, paramedics and detectives were on the scene. The scene was taped off, and they began their investigation right away. Oh my gosh. Okay, so... Just remind me real quick who these women were and how the woman that walked into the house, what their relationship was with the victim. So the three women in the house that were that are dead are uh-huh. mother and daughters. Okay. The women that found them are the sister and mother of the adult woman. Okay. So gotcha. the two little girls are granddaughters and mm-hmm. nieces Niece. yeah. to the other. Okay. Detectives Kevin Collins and Tim Colgan, Colgan? I don't know, C-O-L-G-A-N. I don't know. I think it's Colgan. Okay. But these two guys, they were on the case. The two were seasoned professionals, but even they were horrified by the scene in front of them. The victims were murdered with knives from the victim's own kitchen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and there's always something so just, like, personal about that because mm-hmm. it's like not only are you in my home but you're going to use my personal belongings to harm me yep like ugh. it's really it's messed just, up it's icky melissa's body was found to have been stabbed so forcefully with a knife that the blade broke off and was still lodged into her neck what yeah so either i couldn't find if the knife snapped or if like the handle piece just came off the end of the knife Either way. Still in her, but either way, it was it's pretty forceful. Yeah. She was also hit so hard in the head with a stool that she suffered a skull fracture. Joan was bludgeoned, strangled, and then stabbed 57 times. What? 57? 57. Like I just think like I couldn't do a single motion with my hand 57 times without it hurting. No. Like and, like, this is just me, like, in the air doing it. Like, there's no resistance. There's no heavy object in my hand. Right. Like, just doing that 57 times, just, ugh. It's a lot. It's overkill. It's a lot. Ugh. The strangling did not kill her, but she died from bleeding out. So, she was bludgeoned, strangled. When the strangling didn't kill her, she was then stabbed. 
Oh my gosh. And she, so she's, I mean, she survived a couple attempts, it sounds like. Yeah. So, and what ultimately killed her was just blood loss. Oh, that is so brutal. Yeah. The time of death was determined to be three days before the bodies were discovered. Again, if I wasn't found for like a day and a half, I would hope people would come looking. But it's it sucks because it sounds like the closest family weren't like just around the corner. Um, but I mean they were close enough that they could drive to their house, but this is also the 80s, so you can't just like text somebody and be like, Hey, you home. I was just gonna say that it's not like you can text them, it's not like you can be like, Oh, Caitlin hasn't posted anything on Instagram or sent me a message or this or that. Right. So it was normal not to get a phone call for like a day or two. Right. But that's why like on day four, they were like, okay, something's obviously wrong. Mm -hmm. The news of the murders rapidly spread through Warwick. So police acted quickly and called in the FBI. The FBI sent in their best profiler, Greg O. McCrary. McCrary instantly connected the murders to the murder of a woman named Rebecca Spencer, who was murdered in the same area two years prior. Whoa. I just realized I said murder three times in that sentence in different forms. <laughs> I said murders, murder, and murder. <laughs> Sorry, not funny. In July of 1987, 27-year-old Becky was found lifeless on her living room floor at 60 Inez Avenue. And she was found by her brother. Becky was just four days away from moving out of the neighborhood and into her new home. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Becky was also stabbed to death with knives from her own house. Mm. Do we know how many times she was stabbed? I don't know if that's relevant in this story. Uh, Becky was stabbed 58 times. Oh, my gosh. So one more time. Yeah. Even. And this was two years prior. Okay. McCrary would go on to theorize that the murders occurred during a robbery of the home and that the person was familiar with the houses. He continued to theorize that the suspect, the suspect, (laughs) the unsub as they say in, what's that show? He continued to theorize that the suspect lived nearby since Becky and the Heatons only lived five houses away from each other. Okay, so five houses away, but also two years apart. Yeah. Like literally, like there's like a little map that I saw. It's literally just like around the corner. Okay. McCrary characterized this. (laughs) McCrary characterized this murderer as disorganized, which has the following traits. The murders are never planned out, nor do they follow any sort of ritual. The disorganized predator is young and or they have a mental illness of some type. Most lack any significant social skills. They also typically grow up in an unstable or dysfunctional family in a single or absentee parent household. A lot of them have a history of being abused by a member of their family. Almost all the abuse is physical, but a great deal of it is also sexual and or psychological. Most of them are isolated. Some of the isolation is by choice. Some are by force over a period. They commit murder while they are under the influence of a controlled substance. Most of them are uneducated, and those who have jobs are employed as unskilled laborers. They live near the crime scene, and their victims are random targets of opportunity. They almost always leave behind obvious forensic evidence that points to them as the perpetrator. 
They employ sudden and overwhelming force. They blitz attack their victims and show signs of overkill. And finally, they won't take the time to conceal their victims. If they do, it's usually just to cover them up with a sheet or blanket while they are still out in the open. So clearly, based on the crime scene that we've kind of laid out. It fits the profile. It's very indicative of a disorganized crime. Okay. The final observation from Mercurio was that the murderer had injured himself in all the chaos. He left the local police force. I added an F in there and it said left instead of let. I'm a genius. He let the local police force know <laughs> to keep an eye out for someone with a bandaged hand, bandaged hand while canvassing the neighborhood. I think I've gotten your energy from the last episode where you were fumbling hard <laughs> over that one paragraph. Oh, that was a mission to get through. I hope AJ leaves some of that in the episode. When I got home today, he was like, I was laughing so hard because like you could not say juror or jury. Like you were just fumbled over it so many times. I think he edited it. Like, I think he edited it. Edited it. No, don't do this to me. I think edited he, it. He cut that part out. There you go. He took that out. He cut it out. We don't need to see edited. Yeah. <laughs> edited is a weird word because is it edited or edited? Ed- edited. 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 Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> I hate us so much. <laughs> um, On September 5th, 1989, the day after the Heaton murders, detectives Ray Pendergast and Mark Brandreth were, ca- were canvassing a park in the neighborhood. They noticed a familiar face of 15-year-old Craig Price. They stopped and chatted with him. Well, I mean, he has a criminal record, so they're like, oh, we know that kid. That's crazy. At 15, the cops know him and know he has a criminal record. I mean, that's really sad. The only cop I knew at 15 uh, was my friend's dad. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't even think he knew my name. He was just like, there's that kid that my kid sometimes hangs out with. That weird one. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I was always the weird one. Same. They stopped and chatted with him, um, and they knew he was familiar with the neighborhood, so they were casually asking him if he had seen anything suspicious. Craig showed great concern for the family and recalled that he only lived a couple houses away and saw them removing the bodies. The officers thought that was kind of weird, but during their conversation, it got even weirder because the detectives noticed Craig had bandages on his hand, which instantly rose red flags. Mm-hmm. When asked what happened, Craig said that, he, I don't know why I said it like that. Because <laughs> it's probably something that we hear all the time. Oh, <laughs> sometimes I sound like a talk, like a radio host or like, I don't know. Anyway, sorry. I'm so stupid today. <laughs> I'm so tired. I've had like the hardest week at work and I've had to deal with just the stupidest people and I'm so over it. Like I, it took everything in me not to leave an hour early today. Really? Yeah. I was like, I don't want to be here. I was just exhausted. Like I had a confrontation with an employee. This can all stay in. I don't care. I had to like sit down with an employee today and like go over performance and like all this stuff. And it's like, it's exhausting because all they want to do is fight back. And it's like, there is no fight here. We're just having a conversation. You're not even getting written up or a memo. Like it's just casual. I know that's the most frustrating thing because you're trying to 
tell them something and they're not being receptive of it. And you just feel like it is exhausting because you're like, I don't know what more I can say. All I need you to do is say, got it. Like, I understand. Thank you. Moving forward. I'll do better. That's it. Right. And that's my thing is like, I hate repeating myself. Like Robert knows it. Like I hate it. Even though I make him repeat himself all the time. Cause I like my brain be lagging hard sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And then I'm already answering his question, but yeah, I just like, I just kept having to repeat myself and I, I don't know. Anyway, I think sorry. the most frustrating thing is when you're trying to talk to someone about performance and they're just like, well, I disagree. I don't think I do that. I don't think anyone else feels like I do that. That's like the worst. Well, it was that. And like, I was the last person they talked to. So they'd have already gotten information from like two other people that was incorrect. And so then mm. I'm the last one. So then it's like, oh, I heard from so-and-so that you said this and da 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 And it's like, this is why I wanted to have a one-on-one with you. And now mm-hmm. we're just in the same situation. But yeah, sorry. I just needed to vent for a minute. I get it. I've been there. Again, my Boston brain. be hard. <laughs> my brain is just lagging today. <laughs> um, When the police asked Craig what happened to his hand, he said that he put his hand through a car window a few nights before. And what he means by that is, like, just vandalizing a car. I don't know if he meant, like, stealing something or just, like, being a shithead teenager and breaking windows. But detectives ultimately thought it was strange that he would just openly admit that to the police, considering he's already had a criminal background. Exactly. I feel like if it was, it's, it's like, the lesser of the evils there. If he had actually broken into a car, he would have been like, oh, I tripped down the stairs and... Like you, I used my hand to break my fall. You know what I mean, right? He's but like in oh. comparison, like hurting someone yeah. and breaking into a car. Obviously, they're gonna care less about breaking into a car, right? It's like when people are like, "Oh, I didn't steal that, but had I stolen it, I would have done it this way." It's like, no, you don't need to say that because then it sounds like you were wish you would have done it differently. Mm-hmm. Upon reflection, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, The detectives end up letting him go and return to the station. Once back at the station, they would look deeper into Craig's alibi. They found zero reports of a car being broken into or vandalized in the area. And these two detectives even drove out to the area and found no evidence of broken glass anywhere on the street. Like where he said it happened? Yeah, because he said it happened like on this specific street. And so the cops, like, honed in on it, and they found nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. At just 15 years old, Craig quickly became their main suspect. With no evidence to make an arrest, they started working tirelessly to find some. With that, forensic specialist, Dr. Henry C. Lee. Oh, this guy. Was contacted. I feel like everybody knows him. Mm-hmm. Listen, we've been doing this podcast for how many, like, 10 episodes, and we're, like, this is the second one I've had with him, by chance. Like, it was not planned. And since we've started this podcast, I've heard him being brought up in other podcasts, too, just within, like, the last couple months or so. And he's going to be on the CrimeCon cruise. He is. Yeah. I wish I could go, but Robert said no. (laughs) He stopped that immediately. (laughs) Is that when I'm doing my 5K? Yeah, which is ridiculous, but whatever. I mean, I did um I did run today, so I'm I'm making strides, if you will. I walked um from my house to my car and then from my car to my desk 
made a couple trips to the bathroom and uh that's about it that's all the <laughs> the movements I've done today <laughs> as long as um, you're moving your legs I hate myself I need to exercise anyway Dr. Lee was sent to the Heaton home to analyze the blood spatter. He would find a bloody sock print in the home belonging to a size 13 shoe. Clearly not any of the girls. Like, you Mm -hmm. have two little girls and a 37-year-old woman who is of average height. Like, guarantee you they don't have a men's size 13 shoe. Most men don't even have a size 13. I know. (laughs) I think my brother does, which is weird. Adrian does. Really? Is it a size 13? Mm-hmm. He's tall, though. He's tall. He's tall. Yeah. I don't want to say Roberts because he'll be like, why you put why you put me on blast like that? <laughs> uh, Craig wasn't considered to be an average teenager, considering he already had a pretty substantial arrest record, which included theft, using drugs, breaking, entering, and being a peeping Tom. Ew. Yeah, he's not on a great path. Police were also aware of his violent temper. I guess they were frequently called out to his home, to altercations he was in with friends and all those sorts of situations. I couldn't find any exact, like, moments of what happened, but it said that he's he's a pretty angry guy. Mm-hmm. Craig was brought in for questioning, and he was asked again what happened to his hand, but he stuck with his original story of breaking a car window. They had him submit a polygraph test, so he returned the next day to complete one. The results showed he was dishonest, which police considered their first big break in the case. But we all know, even with the failed polygraph, police still didn't have enough evidence. Right. Police continued to dig into Craig's life and found he ran around with some delinquents that were known for burglarizing houses. They would also find out that Craig was going around bragging to his friends that he had murdered Rebecca Spencer. What? Yeah. I... We'll never understand that, like, just bragging, like, openly bragging to people that you murdered somebody, but I don't think I'll ever be in that situation, so. No, and I think, too, it's, there's a disconnect. There's, there's something going on in the mind there. I mean, even as humans, it's hard for us to admit that we've done something wrong, even if it's something stupid, like, oh, I forgot to take the trash out, or, like, I fucked up, I did this. It's hard for us to admit that, but. I don't know. I I don't I certainly wouldn't brag about it. No, I mean, you don't brag about forgetting to take out the trash. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like or I don't know. It's I just... would probably make a joke about it like guess what this bitch <laughs> did again this week. <laughs> well, yeah, that's our self-deprecating humor, but mm. But yeah, he's he's just openly going around telling his friends what he did. Uh, this was the first piece that of evidence that actually tied him to the crimes. So on September 17th, in the early, early morning, it said like pre-dawn, police were given the okay to search Craig's home. They rang the bell and Craig's father answered, who appeared to be shocked by all the police, which I would hope so. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't ever answer your door and you're just like, ah, Craig, your in. ride's here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were all shocked. And then everyone else in the home had to be woken up and they were all asked to go sit in the living room. The entire family was obviously surprised and concerned, um, except for Craig. Craig had zero reaction to the police in his home, searching his house, searching his backyard. He was cool as a cucumber. 
Police searched the shed behind the house and found a garbage bag filled with incriminating evidence. The bag contained bloody knives, bloody clothes, and gloves. So, um, I don't know why he was hanging on to it. Maybe as a souvenir. Souvenir, trophy. I mean, this is how many days after the crime? Six, I think. Hold on. Sorry, I got to go back in my notes. This is 13 days after the murders. So he had plenty of time to get rid of it. And this was also after they brought him in for questioning and the polygraph. So he should have known that they were onto him. And that would have been the time to do it, right? To get rid of it. Right. And it seems like everything was contained in one location. So I don't know if maybe like he had it in the house and then thought just moving it out to the shed was enough. I don't know. I mean... But again, I I don't know if maybe he was thinking that like, oh, if I move it from my house to the shed, they won't check the shed or whatever. Like, that's good enough. Like, I'm glad he didn't have the wherewithal to I know. dispose of it. Like, that's the thing I'm always happy about in these cases. It's, I wish the murder obviously never happened, but at least we get dumb criminals. Right. Every People, once in a while. Yeah, exactly. Because when they get caught and it's, it's, yeah. the, it's the only silver lining in the case because at least there's some sort of potential for justice which is why i hate unsolved murders i love it when unsolved murders get solved Mm -hmm. but i do not like unsolved crimes because i need resolution yeah me too i need closure and i need to know that there is some good out there in the world right it's like nothing gives me more anxiety than one not knowing who did it or two the wrong person sitting behind bars or what's also really frustrating is knowing who did it and then that person gets to just like live out their life and have a special on Peacock about how they like were <laughs> Casey, <laughs> Casey Anthony <laughs> and then profit off of it. That's just the most sick and twisted thing ever. It Listen, Casey Anthony is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in history. Like, I don't know how people... Tangent. Sorry, we got to go down this one. Mm -hmm. I don't know how anybody believed her or thought that there wasn't enough evidence to incriminate her. Bitch was literally Googling, what was it? Chloroform? Proof methods of strangulation. And how to make chloroform Mm -hmm. and like all this weird shit. And like, you're going to tell me the decomp in her freaking trunk of her car? Yeah. Wasn't, how was there not enough evidence? And like the specific maggot flies that they had. I mean, everything. There was so much evidence. That whole that whole thing was so fucked up. I, I can't even. And now the fact that she has a special on Peacock, and I'm sure she's profiting off of it because I don't think she would just do it for free. There has to be something in it for her because she's selfish. And, like, that's the problem with society is, like, this episode, for example, yes, we're focusing on Craig Price. I'm not going to name the episode after him. And that is something that really bothers me is that like all we see is Casey Anthony, Casey Anthony, Casey Anthony. And then that's something that Crime Weekly did that I do really appreciate is that they named their episodes Kaylee. Kaylee. Yeah. Because it was about Kaylee. It's not Kaylee's life was lost. Not not Casey. She's out freaking dating men and trying to have more kids with men. And it's like they should have taken her fucking ovaries. They should have been like, Mm -hmm. you know what? At the very least, we're going to give you a full hysterectomy because you don't deserve to have children. Yeah. Like, and the fact that she called Zanny the nanny. Mm -hmm. Xanax. Right. Like, come on. We're not stupid. So sick. 
I wish I was older when that whole trial happened because I would have understood it more. Like I didn't understand the full depth of it until I listened to Crime Weekly's episodes on it. Right. I also, maybe it's a good thing in a way because I feel like it could have been a little bit traumatizing when we were younger, you know? Probably. Yeah. I I think she's the most vile human being. And her and Jodi Arias are like the same people to me. Like, they're just both just actual garbage bags. Mm-hmm. Basula. Like, they suck. Okay, sorry. Ten minute rant over. <laughs> the knives were uh, that were found in the bag were later found to belong to the Heatons. Shortly after finding the bag, police arrested Craig at his home for the murders of the Heaton family. His parents would follow behind the police back to the station. Shortly into the interrogation, like, literally, they're walking into the interrogation room. He barely sits down. He starts confessing. Really? Confesses to everything. Initially, he held back information. So, like, he was up front that he murdered them, but he wasn't giving full details. But it was clear to the investigators that he was exhausted. So, he started revealing everything. It was said that the details got so graphic that his father ended up having to leave the room which wow i think we talked about this in the seth jackson case it's like how heartbreaking for the parents yes it's like your baby your 15 year old baby is confessing to a murder listen when i was 15 like i was like my mom's i hate my mom and i like butted heads so much because i was an awful Mm -hmm. teenager but it's like i couldn't imagine killing somebody and I couldn't imagine being in her shoes like hearing me tell her that I killed somebody you know what I mean no and I feel like like okay for me when I was 15 yeah I was not a great teenager me and my mom butted heads too but I was kind of going I had some shit going on in my head that I probably could have benefited from some therapy but you know what I mean like normal teenage stuff I don't feel like I fit in I don't feel like I have any friends I don't know who I am I don't know like what my hobbies are what I like stuff like that yeah I mean, we're not, aren't women fully developed at 20, is it 23 or 25? I think it's like 26. What are men? I think, I think men are 25. Women are like 20. Are you you saying like brain development? Yeah. Uh, So according to Google, most human brains take about 25 years to develop. Um, Yeah, this says male brains, but it does say that male brains develop later. I don't know. There's different things on the internet, but I would say 25 is about average. And then don't they say too that like teenagers' brains are like equivalent to that of a psychopath anyway? Probably. There's so much going on in there. So it's like having that mixed with somebody who actually wants to kill somebody, like you're going to get a dangerous combination. If they've had any sort of damage to their frontal lobe, that's going to also impact that as well as messing around with drugs and alcohol at such a young age which will also damage your brain yeah it's like it's not good I don't I didn't see anything about him like drinking but he definitely was doing drugs like Mm -hmm. which is bad enough he confessed that the plan was to burglarize the home so while he was scoping out the place he found that the kitchen window was open and he's a big boy like I think it said at 15 he was 300 pounds what like he, he's a big boy hold on I gotta look up how old he was hold on well regardless of his height I mean it's not like he was eight feet tall well he was still 300 pounds he stumbled he was scoping out the house and he found an open window Craig is said to be 
300 pounds and stands at 6'4". So he is a big kid. So I don't know if he was quite 6'4 at this time, but he was already at 300 pounds. Wow. That's a lot of weight. That's like, who is it in the the football team? Is it the linebackers that are the big boys? (laughs) Is it them? Yeah, it is. (laughs) Like, so it makes sense that he was like really into sports and everything. So he was a big guy. So he finds this open window and he stumbles through the window. And then as he's getting through this kitchen window, he lands on a table and breaks it. And this is in the middle of the night. He was going to make some noise. Just just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just like a little mini earthquake in your house. I was just going to say an earthquake. (laughs) He was aware of how loud this was, but he continued with the burglary. So like he could have stopped. He could have been like, oh shit, Mm. that was way too much noise. I got to bounce. But he was like, nope, I'm already invested. I'm going through. He went through the home room by room and didn't realize he had woken Joan up. She walked into the room and turned on the lights. He panicked grabbed her and started beating her and even tried to strangle her. Unfortunately, her screams woke up her daughters and they both came into the hallway. So this is all taking place um, in the hallway of the home. Mm-hmm. So he's beating her. He's trying to strangle her to get her to stop screaming, obviously. And now here come these two little eight and 10 year old girls. Melissa tried running to the phone in the kitchen, but Craig stopped her. Uh, It was said that he then tackled both girls, ran to the kitchen, grabbed a kitchen knife, and began stabbing them. Poor Melissa fought back so hard that she bit him on the hand, which enraged him, so he bit her back. Oh, my God. She continued to fight him to the point that he ended up hitting her over the head with the stool from the kitchen. He stated that while he was stabbing one of the girls, he ended up cutting his hand. When this happened, he went to the bathroom to try to clean his wound and removed his gloves. This is what caused the bloody trail with his sock print. Dr. Lee confirmed that the blood, in fact, matched Craig's. So basically what happened was he sliced his hand open. He went to the bathroom to try to clean it up. As he took his glove off, it's it's like a pressure relief. Like you take the pressure Mm -hmm. off, it's going to release everything. Right. So now he's bleeding profusely. So he's trying to stop the bleeding. And this is what causes the trail that he ends up stepping in. So he steps in his own trail of blood. I don't really know why it's his sock print and not his shoe print. So I'm thinking maybe his shoe fell off or he took them off before entering the home as a way to not leave shoe prints. I wasn't really sure on that. I couldn't really find. But didn't they say that they found a size 13 shoe print? Sock print. Oh, sock print. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what happened to his shoes in this situation. Craig told police that after the murders, he covered their bodies with blankets, but he didn't know why he did that. He then proceeded to grab towels and try to clean up the scene, but he panicked and left the home. Hmm. And that's where I'm going to end today. What? Yep. (laughs) You're doing a two-parter? I am. I told you. I was Uh, like, this was your surprise. This is not a good surprise. I know. I told you I was going to piss you off. It's a big case because what I didn't tell you is that this is the tale of the United States' youngest serial killer. Ooh. I mean, we already know everybody that he murders. Like, so. But Wow. That's crazy. And I found this by accident. How'd you find it by accident? So I was looking up cases in rhode island like i was like i was like googling like most famous cases by state like Mm -hmm. 
um, like most, not most famous, but most intriguing. And of course you get all of like the famous serial killers when you're in like California and Texas and all that. And I was like, I want to know about Rhode Island. Nobody talks about Rhode Island. It's right. a time, baby state. You can throw football from one end to the other. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm gonna look up Rhode Island. And I found Craig Price. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So yes, I have a two-parter for you. Our first two-parter. And I'm Yay! very proud of it because I did it from you. <laughs> That's exciting. Well, I'm excited to hear part two. Is it one of two or one of four? Um, Two, definitely two. Okay. Listen, maybe three. No, probably two. Okay. Probably just two. Because this okay. was 12 pages of notes. So that's a lot. Because we still have to go over um Rebecca's crime scene. Mm-hmm. And then we have to go over trials, plural. Wow. And where Craig is now. Hint, hint. Okay. So yeah, we have a lot to go over. Ah, well, I guess my anxiety is not going to be have any resolution anytime soon. You liar. You're going to go Google all this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I always say I'm going to Google something after we like talk about a case and then I forget until like the next week. And then I'm like, oh, I never Googled that. Also, can I say, so our last case was um, Reggie and Carol Sumner, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the perpetrators in that case, his name was Michael Jackson. Can we talk about how we went the entire episode and didn't make a single smooth criminal joke? Um, that's because we're way too good for those kinds of puns. <laughs> we're not. We're it, not. We're not at all. <laughs> it just seems like a missed opportunity. Well, he's obviously not a smooth criminal. Well, that's what I mean. Like the lack <laughs> of smooth criminalness. Vanessa, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I'm actually really disappointed in us. I know we're better than that. Don't you know he's bad? Like. Oh <laughs> uh, man, it makes me really sad that we didn't like make any Michael Jackson reference references with such a thriller. I know. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm, now I'm like doing all the Michael Jackson puns. I gotta stop. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Oh <laughs> uh, wow. Anyway, well, everybody, sorry I'm gonna leave you on a cliffhanger, and we won't record the next episode for another week. So, Kara, you gotta wait. Well, I have an episode that we have to record in between. So on Sunday or whatever, we'll do my episode and then we'll go back and do your part two of this, right? Yes. Cool. Okay. Or we can do it the other way around. We can just record the second part to this. It's up to you. I don't really care. Oh, that's a good idea. That way, actually, let's do that because then that way people don't have to wait two weeks. They only have to wait one week. And it gives you an extra week for research unless you already my did no tests. Yeah, because my no tests are not done. Okay, hold so hold on. Can we talk about this cute ass notebook that you sent me? Oh, I'm so glad you like it. So it's so I, cute. I sent Caitlin a notebook for case notes and it has our logo on the front. So it was pretty cute. And what? my name. And it and her name it says case it says, notes. Case notes and then my name at the bottom. Yes. But Super Caitlin, cute. not quote my name. <laughs> uh, name here. <laughs> I was like, uh, that's unique. Did you get the magnet too? There's a magnet? Yeah, there was a magnet in that box. You're lying. Uh-uh. It has the logo on it too, the sentence logo. You're lying. Uh-uh. Like a little square one. 
No. Oh. Did you already throw the box away? Yes. Oh, sad. Unless it got stuck to something. I think he would have noticed that it was kind of big. No, that makes me so sad. I'll send you another one. It's okay. You have a bunch? No, I just had the two, but actually it's okay because I was going to ask. The reason I asked is because there was like a little speck on it and it almost looked like a coffee stain, but it was on both of them. So I think it was just a printing error. So I'll order more. And then now that we have some merch for ourselves, we can talk about getting some merch on the Patreon. Whoop, whoop. That'll be exciting. Yeah. So that those were kind of just like little beta tests for our merch. Something to yeah, start that's, with. That's a good idea. They're, the notebook is super cute. And actually, I think that's like, as a nerd who writes down everything, mm-hmm. I would buy that. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of times merch is always like t-shirts, hats, like heavy things, like things that you have, not heavy, but like things that you have to wear and it's expensive. Right. And the notebook, I like, I actually really like the paper because it's thicker. And I, when I write, I press down really hard. And Oh, I do too. I press down so hard that sometimes you can't even use the back of the page. Yeah. I only write on one side of the page, but that's just because I don't like writing next to the spiral. Wow. You're that much of a diva. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you for listening today. And don't forget to follow us on our socials. Um, I forget the Instagram, so Kara, at you know sentence pod, and then you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash sentenced. Um, and then if you want to send us your listener tales or um future episode ideas, you can email us at sentencepod at gmail.com, mm-hmm. and you can find us on Facebook at sentencepod as well. Yes, absolutely. And um, if you guys don't hear from me for a while, it's because I was abducted by aliens. You're not going to get abducted by aliens. I promise you that. Because if you do, I'm going to be really sad because then I won't have anybody to talk to. (laughs) Like, and I lied. It's patreon.com forward slash sentence pod, not just sentenced. Sorry. (gasps) I'll eventually get this down, but I feel like I won't. It's hard to think of it under pressure. Like if I was just casually talking about it, well, no problem. Why do we mess it up? Because everything is literally sentenced pod. I don't know. Patreon, Instagram, the Gmail, like <laughs> we're know. really, we're really good at this. Yeah, we're we're super good. We're okay. We're fresh. Well, before we get into another 10 minute long tangent about how great we are, we're going to end this episode. (laughs) So we will talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.